God has dreams he's going to drop into your heart. And maybe even tonight he'll, he'll do that. So can we turn to Ephesians chapter 2? Because this evening is called, We Have a Dream. <laughs> it was a good link, wasn't it? <laughs> I think God went ahead of me there. And uh, <laughs> as usual. Let's get rid of the pulpit. I'll put it to one side. I like it on one side and then I can be with you. So if you're familiar with what we've been doing at the moment, we it may get a little bit complicated, our series on Ephesians. So it's a bit of an experiment. We do a couple of Sundays in the morning, and that's how we kicked off the series in Ephesians. And then we do a couple of those in the evening. So Dave Carter did an excellent uh, um, job on chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Uh, last week, if you were here, uh, that was brilliant. If you can get, unfortunately, we, we can't. We're, we're trying to work on getting his visuals because... To understand David last week, you need to, to see some of his visual stuff as well. But um, let me just read. I want, to, want us to read Ephesians 2 uh, and the first 10 verses. And then we'll get into 11 to 22, which is the passage we've got. So uh, in a moment, you'll get the... T- when we hit, Phil, when we hit verse 11, right, you can put that up on the screen. But um, if you've got your Bible or your tablet or your telephone, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 1. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness for us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, there we go, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision, By those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body, to reconcile both of them to God 
through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole being building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by his spirit. Father, we love your word. <laughs> we love your word, Father. We love the presence of your Holy Spirit. We love the way you're taking us deeper and deeper into your purposes. And so, Holy Spirit, take us deeper. Take us deeper into relationship with you. Take us deeper into relationship with one another. Because, Lord, we know there's no dividing God and man. There's no encountering God without encountering also one another. Because you have said, Lord, you told us to love you and to love one another. No greater, greater love is no man that he laid down his life for his friends. The friend or his brothers, indeed even his enemies. <laughs> so take us deeper, Father. Take us deeper. Take us deeper. God's just going to reveal to you his love. He's revealing his love to you. Hmm. It's powerful. Whoa! <laughs> Oh, his love has transformed the world again and again. It's transformed relationships with husbands and wives. It's transformed relationships between fathers and children. It's transformed relationships between communities. It's transformed relationships between churches. It's transformed relationships between denominations. It's transformed relationships between nations. It's transformed relationships between races. It's transformed relationships between men and women. It's the love of God in Christ Jesus. Woo! <laughs> and it's going to transform. It is in the process of transforming your relationships with the people around you. God is going to do miracles of reconciliation and peace in your life in your families, in your communities, in your workplaces. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm declaring to you now, right, it's the prophetic word of God. It's God's word in his word. It's his God's word now. It's God's word written. It's God's word by the Holy Spirit that he is about a great work. And that great work is bringing unity. All right, we read out, uh, as the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, so Jews from around the world, from different parts of the world, recognized their own language being declared, the wonders of God being declared in their own language. And it was a symbol of the turnaround that the Holy Spirit brings 
the, you know, the Tower of Babel, men were divided and had different languages. So a language came, the language of the Holy Spirit, that actually brought the uh, reconciliation. And that reconciliation was to go on and not only unite Jews from different backgrounds, but was to make, bring down the wall of hostility that was always it was, was there between Jews and, and Gentiles. And that was a prophetic statement that was going to, uh, you know, that has rung down through the ages. We're going to look at one notable ex- an example of that later, uh, f- uh, just for a YouTube thing. But let's just lay some foundation. How does that come about? What's Paul describing here? Phil, let's have the next PowerPoint up. So, in the first half, it, it's, you know, this 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 part of the chapter parallels the first. Uh, Half of, you know, of uh, chapter two, where you get a description of what we're like, you know, sinners, disobedient, under God's wrath. And then in the second half, it's all about God's grace and the, the transformation that comes about through faith and grace in our lives. So Paul kicks off the second half by describing what, <coughs> you know, what, ha- what that, what sin does to our relationships with one another. And what sin does is it divides. And the great division, as far as Jews were concerned, were were the circumcised and the uncircumcised. You know, the Jews went around with a physical sign of the covenant that God had made with them. But, of course, that physical sign had been kind of used as a way of excluding people. Never intended to do that. It was a sign of God's covenant, his promise to his people, but also that they would be a light to the Gentiles. But come the time of Jesus, of course, there was this huge division and the Jewish nation had become exclusive. And, uh, you know, the oppression by the Romans had not, you know, helped that in, in that sense. So they, everybody else was the uncircumcised. They were separated. They were separated. They were excluded. They were foreigners. They were hopeless. And they were godless. That's what it's like to be outside of Christ. Whoever you are like, although Paul here is describing, you know, the Gentiles, this is what it's like to be outside of Christ. This is what, you know, this is what the world feels like. And you know what that feels like, because at one time you were the uncircumcised, you were separate, you were excluded. I was excluded. I was a foreigner. I was without, without hope and I was godless. That's the outside of Christ existence, isn't it? But the inside Christ... When you become a Christian, when you're born again, what do you get? You get drawn near. Peace enters your life. Oneness comes into your life. You are not only reconciled to God, but you begin to be reconciled to other people. Well, immediately you're reconciled with the whole body of Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? You're barely aware of this when you become a Christian. But you walk into church and suddenly you have so much in common. Overnight, you had so much in common with everybody around you that's in Christ Jesus. Everything they've got is potentially yours too in in Christ Jesus. Because Ephesians has already told us that in Christ Jesus, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every Holy Spirit blessing is now yours. The Holy Spirit is a down payment, a seal of everything that God wants to pour into your life now. And he will pour in his love. And he will pour in his peace. And he will give you a, a supernatural ability to be able to relate to other people and love other people. And, the, and you will feel that love. 
I always remember the first Salvation Army meeting I ever went to and people were just standing up, confessing their sins and saying, you know, God's just touched me and I know I need to be back in relationship with one another. And I was, I was so over, you know, overcome by that. I'd never seen in a public setting people confessing sin and saying, I need to be reconciled. Probably it was one of those things that contributed, you know, to my salvation. And I'm sure it was true for yours. You know, people see the love that we have for one another and that convinces them of the truth of the gospel. So just being church, just loving your brothers and sisters is a powerful, powerful testimony. Folks, dare I say it's as powerful as the signs and wonders. Dare I say, actually, it is a sign and wonder. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah? There isn't a plan A, signs and wonders. Plan B, love one another. It's all plan A. It's all a demonstration of the love and grace of God. And here's Paul, having talked about our individual salvation in the first half of this chapter, is just coming in and, and majoring on the, our relationships with one another, relate, majoring on you know, what God has done in the same cross that you were saved by. The same cross where your sins were forgiven. The same cross where you were reconciled to God. The same cross where you found peace with God is going to do something else in your life and your relationships with one another. It's going to bring about a reconciliation because now you have access to the Father. So does everybody else who's in Christ Jesus have the same access to the Father by the Holy Spirit. It's like you all walk through the same door. You all pray to the same God. You're all coming in the same, the, the same way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. We all enter in by the gate that Jesus is. I am the gate. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection of the life and, and the life, Jesus said. I, before Abraham was, I am. He is everything that you need. And Paul's kind of laboring this, isn't he? That, that we will be filled with God. We will be filled with his Holy Spirit. So we have, you know, the, the day you become a Christian, you have so much more in common with Christians than anybody else. So, well, I barely met them. I barely know their names. I, I barely, you know, I'm, twice I've come to church and I only just started to get one or two names. Yeah, but you have... This amazing, you are now in Christ Jesus, and that unites you actually with your local fellowship, with your national, you know, fellowship, and your international fellowship. You're now a world person. <laughs> you can go anywhere in the world, and you have the calling card. <laughs> you have the ultimate entrance into fellowship and love and relationship with people all around the world. And if you've done any traveling to any other countries, you know the wonder and the joy of this, don't you? That you can go to any race and to any group and anywhere where people are in love with Jesus and think, these people are like me. They may look different. They may have a different background. They may have a different habit, different habits and different cultures. But actually the outstanding thing is they're all part of the kingdom. They all have a kingdom culture that draws them together and makes them one. And that's the miracle of the cross. That's what the cross has done, as, as Paul, you know, describes it to us. You see, he talks about the cross bringing down the wall of hostility. What is the wall of hostility? 
Well, in one sense, it is all the sin that divides people. But the particular reference here is actually to an actual wall of hostility. It was the wall that surrounded the temple of Jerusalem. So under Herod the Great, just prior to you know, at the time of Jesus' birth, Herod had renewed the temple. And he'd built you know, uh, the temple on, on, on the pattern where inside you had the Jewish court. And inside of that, there was the Holy of Holies. But there was a Gentile court. But between the Jew, Jew, Jewish court and the Gentile courts, because they knew their Old Testament, they knew that the, the people of Israel should be a light to the Gentiles. So there was a Gentile court. But there was a sign There was a sign on the wall between the Gentile court and the Jewish court. And on that sign, it didn't just say trespassers will be prosecuted. It actually said trespassers will be executed. In Hebrew, no doubt. (laughs) And that was recorded by the historian Josephus. And they have actually found, archaeologists have found those signs. I'm not sure where they are. I forgot where I read it in the commentary. But they've actually found the signs that were put up. Because that, that folks, is the wall of hostility that Paul is referring to. And it's so, it's, it's so interesting because Paul is writing, uh, you know, to the Ephesians Christians. And in, 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 you know, in Ephesus, there was a pagan temple. The temple of Diana or Artemis. So he's writing to a group of Christians who knows, knows what, you know, know what a temple looks like. And some of them would have been Jews. They would have known, uh, you know, and it's, it's probably true that the, the, the Ephesians letter wasn't just written to the Ephesians, but was written to a whole group of churches. And of course now it's written to every church. And he's saying when Jesus died on the cross, he tore down that wall of hostility. Not only has he torn down the wall between you and God, the barrier between you and God, you know, in a sense, that kind of horizontal wall that separated you from you and God, but he's, he's torn, torn down in the spirit the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. And by, that, by, by implication, every other wall that's come between men and women, people of different races, people of different classes, people of different ages, any man-made barrier has now been destroyed destroyed by the cross of Christ. He brought peace, peace to every person, peace to every relationship. Why did Jesus say, blessed are the peacemakers? (laughs) For they will be called sons of God. Because he initiated peace, as Paul says, he came and preached peace to you. And when he died on the cross, he made peace because he removed the hostility of sin. That's both a barrier between us and God, but also a barrier, as we know, between men and women, boys, girls, young and old, rich and poor, working class and middle class and upper class. It's nearly said royalty, but we won't get onto royalty. So it's that favorite subject. But, you know, it's another, it can be another barrier, can't it? But now in Christ Jesus, you've been brought near. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law and its commandments and regulations. You see, in those times for the Jews, you came to God through the law. And we haven't got time to unpack this, but what Paul means by that is is that's now been removed. Everybody, whether you're a Jew and the law was so precious, it's it's very hard for us to get into the mentality of the Jews, isn't it? But it was the law was it was everything. 
That's how you know God. That's how you live your life. That's how you, you, know, you get access to God. And Paul is saying the most radical, radical thing he could possibly say to any Jewish audience and to a Gentile audience. He's saying that now has been removed. You don't need it to know God. Jesus abolished it on the cross. And now access is through faith in Jesus Christ. So that makes access accessible to everybody. You don't need to have been circumcised. You don't need to obey the law in order to know God now. It's just through the cross of Jesus. It's through his merits. It's through his righteousness. It's through his forgiveness. Everything is done for you. This is the good news of the gospel, isn't it? It's a free gift. You can't do anything to earn it. You you don't deserve it. That's absolutely true. God gives it to you as a free gift. I was a queue in uh, in a queue in uh, Costa this morning, and uh, down in Paddock Woods, uh, well, lunchtime, we decided the team would go to the anointed coffee room, and uh, you know have lunch. I just felt God prompted me say, David, give you know put your uh, your credit card over the counter and pay for the next whole bunch of people. And I said, you can have. Can you pay for this, the rest of the queue up to 50 pounds? Actually came to 58 pounds. I wasn't, wasn't quite expecting, but there you go. And, and it took a few minutes to explain to the lady over the counter. I mean, I'm, I'm only telling you things that have been done for me. So I'm not, not blowing my own trumpet. But I do, you know, I've just felt prompt. I, I thought, no, Lord, you know, I can't, no. Um, oh, hmm. and when you get the Holy Spirit behind you, you think, well, I, you know, God will provide. And uh, so I, I, you know, it took me three or four minutes to explain to the, the dear Italian lady uh, exactly what I meant and what I was doing. I said, anybody who comes in now up to 50 pounds, can you just pay for their coffee and their cake and so on? And uh, the first two people were part of our team. They were really happy. And uh, although they said, actually, it was interesting. They said, no, 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 don't do it. I said, yes, 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 do it. You know, so, receive, receive. You know, it's funny how it's, we, we can receive the Holy Spirit. But we can't receive a fiver. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. We've got to get more gracious, you know, in receiving as well as giving. But it was also interesting because the next two couple were not part of our group. They were a, a, a Greek, as it turned out, a, a Greek couple. I mean, it's so international, Paddock Wood, isn't it? <laughs> you don't imagine it, sort of deep as Kent. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, I, so, so I thought, oh, right, I've got an Italian waitress. I've just explained it to her. My team, who kind of grudgingly are accepting this, and... <laughs> And, and now I've got a Greek couple, and I've got to explain to them what's going on. I said, so I said, look, I've just put my credit card across the counter, and, you know, whatever you want, you know, I'll, I'll, it's on me. And, and, and the guys, and they looked at me <laughs> like I was from a different country, which, of course, I was. But, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, we found out that they were, you know, they're from Greeks. So we had a little bit of conversation just to build a bridge here. I thought we need to build a bridge here, you know, a little conversation. I've been to Greece, you know, where you've been to Greece, Athens, you just lived outside Athens. And I said, it's okay, you know, I'd like to pay it. You know, it's just, just, I just felt God prompt me to, to, you know, to be generous today and just, just do this one. He said, and he, and he just could not, he could not receive it. He's, and his only way out was to say, look, I'd, I'd rather you give the, 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 you know, five pounds or ten pounds or whatever it was going to cost them to, you know, a homeless person out on the street or somebody, somebody that's, that really deserves it. But I don't, you know, I mean, he'd obviously come in there with money. He was going to pay for his. But it's interesting, isn't it, how hard it is for people to receive something that's free. 
And yet Jesus is a free gift. He is a free gift. And it's only our pride that stops us from receiving. So don't, let, don't let pride stop you from receiving. One of the measures of your ability to receive you know, the grace of God is, well, just receive. You know, I'm, I'm used to, you know, people bless me. I think, thank you. Thank you. I know I don't deserve it, but thank you. That's okay. The Bible tells me I don't deserve it. So, you know, thank you. Just, just be willing to receive. It's a great, you know, it's wonderful. Um, didn't mean to say that, but there you go. That was free. God, by, res- by re- um, destroying this wall of hostility, is about an amazing work, isn't it? He's creating one new man in Christ Jesus. One new humanity. You see, Christians are a new race. Every generation, God is creating a new race of people made up of every tribe, every tongue, every background. So in heaven, it says that the, you know, the people are rejoicing and worshiping God. And they're from every tribe, every nation, every, what's the other one? Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. That's right. Yeah, I knew there was another one. <laughs> and we pray for heaven to come down to earth, don't we? Father, you know, know, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we are reconciled to one another, when we are being part of that humanity, when we're working on our relationships with one another, we are very, we're doing what we do with healing. We pull healing down because healing's in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. So we say, Lord, heal the sick because we want heaven to come down. When we see the church emerging in all its glory with different people from different backgrounds and different races, that's heaven coming down. It's the same heaven that creates that. And Jesus did it and made it possible through the cross. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all involved with it. And the result is this. Can we have the next slide, which I think is... The result is this. A kingdom, a family, and a temple. Paul says we're now fellow citizens with God's people. Citizens belong to a kingdom. We are a family. We are God's household. That word household is about the why, you know, the the the, uh, the Greek concept of oikos, which is uh, you know, a, 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 um, you know, the the family, but not the nuclear family as we understand that, but the broader sense of family, uncles and aunts and cousins and and everybody. And and, it, and he's saying you come into a family. But you also come into a temple, don't you? We won't dwell on this much, but it's, it's, folks, when you think of church and when you think of the people of God, try and keep all those three things in mind. That you've entered into a kingdom of which the church is part, a precious part, but only part. You're coming into the rule and reign of Jesus. So wherever you go, you take the kingdom of God with you. And that kingdom is broader than just your local church. Just keep that in mind. Church is precious. Love it. Bride of Christ, body of Christ, the people of God. But you have come into a kingdom. You have come into a family. So church needs to feel like a family, doesn't it? Jim Hunter's often, you know, saying to us at NKCC, let's, let's make sure we've got that family feel about what we, what, 
you know, and it's and it's right, folks. You know, keep reminding your leaders, keep reminding people whether you, you know you need to be part of a family. You're part of a kingdom, and that's exciting. But part of a family, it's almost like that description. There ought to be that kind of closeness. You know, it's not all sweetness and light a family, though, is it? <laughs> Right? Sometimes the walls of hostility seem to kind of pop up again. And you have to keep working at it. You know, I've been in lots of, well, lots of families. My first family, and then we had a family. We've still got a family. You know, been various church families. And it's, and it can be hard work, but it's fun and it's enjoyable and it's so worthwhile working at relationships, isn't it? So worthwhile. You know, I, there's part of me that enjoys an argument with people because I feel I get to know them better. <laughs> Do you know that? Do you ever that? You sort of think, I don't. You know, I don't look. I don't look for arguments. You know, funny that you might think. Well, yeah, if you're getting full time, being made full time in the church, you're looking for trouble. You know, <laughs> but uh, sorry, that was an aside. Don't. Um, but. Uh, but we have to work on it. And, it, and, and the joy is, you see, here, here it gets really practical, isn't it? You've got, got a problem with somebody else in the church? Jesus has destroyed the wall of hostility. So that problem doesn't have to be there. It won't disappear necessarily, miraculously, you know, sort of overnight, although sometimes it can, can do. You know, we can get, a, sometimes we get very fearful about one another. And then we just sit down with something. Can I just talk to you about it? And the fear all disappears. Isn't it? One of our watchwords here at NKCC is don't let fear get into your environment. Right? If you've got fear in, in, in relationships with one another, fear is coming into your environment. And you can step out of that fear and you can deal with that fear. And perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love from God, but perfect love is worked out with other people, isn't it? And all of us have to work on this. You know, I don't relish talking to people when I know it's going to be a difficult, uh, you know, conversation. But actually, I know that the fruit that will come out from that is so worth it. So worth it for them and so worth it for me. Because I'm going to grow and I'm going to... I'm going to demonstrate the love and the power of the cross because the wall of hostility has been destroyed. We're a kingdom, we're a family, and we're a temple. <laughs> Let me just deal with this in a moment because we're going to uh, show you something on the DVD Sorry, on the uh, on the screen in a moment. Let me just quickly deal with the next point. Just just a few things about creating this kingdom, this family, and this temple, right? Because I, this is how we do unity. This is how we bring about the miracle of reconciliation, not only in the church but in the world generally. We need a kingdom. We need a family. We need a temple. And Paul gives us some little keys here, doesn't he? He says that these things are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, the original apostles and prophets were really important. They wrote our New Testament. The word of God is foundational to building his kingdom and his family 
and his temple. But actually, in every generation, you need apostles and prophets. Paul develops this a little bit more, and whoever preaches in our church on Ephesians 4, verse 11 and onwards, will we'll be dealing with this in more detail. But I just want to lay it down to you that actually, if we are to be communities, if we're to be kingdom, family, and temple, you need apostles and prophets today. One of the joys with these mission teams and in, a, in, a, in our own setting is that we have an apostolic emphasis that brings the presence of God. We have a prophetic emphasis where the Holy Spirit comes and he's speaking again and again and again and again. One of the revolutions we went through four or five years ago was the recognition that, you know, God loves to speak to us all the time and he will keep, you know, we have now a glut. Well, we consider a glut. Maybe there's even, I'm sure there's even more to come. We have a glut of prophetic stuff. You know, I have people say to me, I said, one, one guy came up to me on our school recently, he said, can, you, can, we, can we have coffee at the break time? Can you do that spontaneous prophecy thing that you do? Yeah. You know, I do it now. You know, you asked me to prophesy over you and I'll prophesy over you. We, there was a time when we didn't do that. And that's not arrogance. That's just saying, I know God loves you. And I know he's put a desire in your heart to hear his voice. And, you know, and he will use me and he'll use others. So I'm not exclusive by any means. He'll use many others to speak constantly into your life. And that's not a substitute for God's word. In fact, we've discovered that God speaks to us even more through his word, uh, you know, while we're in this kind of prophetic, what we call a prophetic culture. He loves to do that. In fact, the word gets enlarged. The word doesn't get left behind. The word gets enlarged and we love it more and we read it more and it keeps on speaking to us. Because, at, But his word says, be eager to prophesy. You know, <laughs> it's like the word loves the prophecy. If the word, if you see what I mean. Can you personify the word? I'm not sure. But anyway, um, that's, that's another thought. So apostles and prophets are needed, aren't they? We need an apostolic and prophetic foundation to be the kind of kingdom, family, and temple that Paul's describing here. To be this reconciling influence in the world. That's where it starts. But he then says, Christ as the chief cornerstone. Here's my only thought about that, because it's fairly self-evident. You need Jesus Christ, isn't it? But you need all that Christ is. So Paul has said in chapter 1, verse 3, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Every Holy Spirit blessing in Christ Jesus. So get all of Christ. You know, I've been in contexts where people are half-hearted about getting everything that God has for them. And, I, you know, and it's, it's so sad that people kind of kind of stop and say, well, I've got enough or, you know, my present experience is all that I need. Folks, there's always more. And Jesus being the chief cornerstone of the church means that Jesus isn't just there in a nice position like a keystone in an archway. He is the cornerstone. It all hangs together around Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone, but you've got to have all of Jesus. And the sad thing of the history of the church is often that we've ignored things and we've taken things, half of what Jesus, you know, or, or, or even three quarters, rather than the whole package. All that he has, all that he is. We are his body. He said we would do greater things than he did. So let's just, you know, so, so a church that has a reconciling and positive influence in its community will be one that has everything that Jesus has to offer. It will consist of you and me. 
every one of you, all built together. Yes, with apostles and prophets. And one of our big errors is that we will elevate in our thinking our leaders, our apostles, our prophets, our evangelists, our pastors and teachers. Folks, you are every bit as important as they are. They are all part of the same body. The hand cannot say to the toe, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, isn't it? You know, that you're less important. You're all part of you, all involved. You see, you have to be, to be that reconciling body and to be that witness to the world, we have to demonstrate that that's true. That everybody counts. That everybody is part of this kingdom, this family, this temple. You all count. Just put your hand on your heart. Say, I count. I really do count. I am important. I am significant. I have a great role to play in the body of Christ. Lord, release me from my fear and bring me into all that you want to do in my life. Amen. If you only half meant that, that's okay. <laughs> you'll, you'll mean more of it later. I'm sorry, I didn't want to cause, cause any aspersions on your commitment. But you know what? Sometimes you commit yourself to something just because God's saying it, and then you suddenly realize, whoa, that's amazing. How's that going to unpack in my life? I have no idea. When I first became a Christian, I had no idea what God was going to do in my life. But I still became a Christian. <laughs> so... And lastly, before we look at the DVD, Holy Spirit presence. We are God's place where God's live. God lives, aren't we? We will never do this without the Holy Spirit. That's why we love the Holy Spirit in this place. We love him. And we love meeting with him. We love his presence. This is not a human endeavor. You know, we didn't work out sociologically. It would be a good idea if we liked one another and that would impress the world and they would become Christians. We didn't do that. Holy Spirit revealed it in his word and to our hearts that that's the right way to live. Because that's actually how Father, Son and Holy Spirit have lived for all eternity. Loving and committed. And we become a, a Trinitarian community when we're like that. You get welcomed into the Trinity, don't you? Because you are in Christ Jesus. So you get welcomed into this community that's been going forever. It's important to remember that when you're struggling with other people in the body of Christ, you've entered into it. You can do it. You can. You really can love other people because you are in Christ Jesus and Christ and the Father and the Son have been loving one another for all eternity. Woo. That releases such power into you. Enables you to love one another, doesn't it? And go, beyond, go the extra mile and lay down your life for one another. That's beautiful. That is the new humanity. That is the bride of Christ, isn't it? Coming into being. And you'll, you've got the rest of your life to work at this. <laughs> when I first became a Christian, some, uh, God brought into my life uh, a guy. I just met him on the station at, uh, at Brighton uh, with learning difficulties, with a, with a, you know, a bad legal record as well to, to boot. Uh, for, for various things. And, and in my naivety, I agreed to link up with him again. And this time I thought I'd really put him off. So I put on my Salvation Army uniform. And I thought, well, that will scare him off. 
you know, what's not supposed to do that, of course, but, you know, <laughs> you know, I didn't know what he was like. And I thought, I agreed to meet with him. And, and he wasn't put off. Hallelujah. Because God just taught me how to love other people, you know, through him, with my struggle to make myself understood to somebody who didn't communicate in the same way as I did. And with, you know, uh, uh, and yeah, and, and sometimes God will do that. Ask him to empower you to love the unlovable, right? Because actually they are lovable. It's just something maybe have to change in, in our lives as we do that. One of my spiritual heroes is Martin Luther King. And I just thought, I want us to, this, this may sound, well, it's not a departure. Martin Luther King was able to demonstrate something of the love and power of God and the power of, you know, Christian love, you know, in his situation. If you don't know anything about Martin Luther, go and see the film Selma. I think it's just out, isn't it? Selma was like a voting campaign that he was involved with. Um, I believe it's very good. But can we, we're just going to spend a few minutes. We've got five minutes of his great I Have a Dream speech. I love it. And then we'll just do some declarations and finish off. Is that, is that okay? So, Phil, over to you. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. 
And every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is a faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day with all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning my country tears of thee sweet land of liberty of thee i sing land where my fathers died land of the pilgrims pride from every mountainside let freedom ring and if america is to be a great nation this must become true and so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of new hampshire let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. must rank as one of their greatest speeches in human history, isn't it? Can we just stand? I've made up some declarations. The wording may not be as eloquent as Dr. King, but nonetheless, they're true. And although we're a small representation of our church in one sense now, I, I, wanted, I want us to do this. I've, I've called it, We Have a Dream. And I hope it reflects the truths of these passages, and I hope it reflects the desire of your heart, it's certainly the desire of my heart, that we would be an international, multiracial, multicultural community, because that is the demonstration of the gospel and the kingdom of God that's in my heart, and, 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 and I'm sure is in the heart of our church, your heart too. So you may not, you won't be familiar with these words, but I hope you'll be familiar with the concepts. And I wonder if we could just, you know, as you read it, 
if there's anything you don't like, don't worry. God won't hold it against you. But, uh, you know, can we read this together? And, and corporately, I, I just, it just struck me that, you know, before we talked about declarations, Martin Luther King there was making declarations of freedom, wasn't he? That, yeah, in, to some, and, and in our day, we've seen a black president in the United States. In our day. He didn't live to see that day. But he made a declaration about freedom. And I know there are things that get on, that, you know, in, in, in the news headlines that kind of discourage us sometimes about you know, continuing racism. But so much progress has been made that we should never overlook, you know, the, the, the revolution that he and, you know, the civil rights movement sort of brought about, not only for America, but around the world. And it's still echoing down, you know, into our generation. So I'll invite you to read this with me. We have a dream that this church will be a multicultural community where race, ethnicity, gender, age, and any barriers, be they personal, social, economic, or political, will be removed. We have a dream that all will realize that in Christ, men and women are equal and worthy of honor, love, and acceptance. We have a dream that through the blood of Christ, peace will come into all our relationships in every family and every community, that all will be transformed, the divided will be reconciled, and those that are separated will be joined together as one new man. We have a dream that this church will be a kingdom community where every man, woman, and child will encounter the Father, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and together become a dwelling place for the living God. We have a dream that this church will be a place that regularly sees miracles of reconciliation, And where peace in all its fullness, wholeness, well-being, prosperity, healing, and harmony will be manifested more and more with ever-increasing glory. We have a dream that peace and freedom will reign in our community. That reconciliation will be the hallmark of our relationships. And Gravesham will be a place where everyone can encounter the living God and come into faith, hope, and love. Glory! Amen. Amen.